we wanted to let you know that we're going to be having another service of baptism in December. And so if baptism is something that's been on your heart, something you've been thinking about, uh, please reach out to us on staff or send the, give the office uh, a call or send a note and we'd be happy to, to chat with you about what that looks like. <clears throat> I want to start by asking you today where it is that you get your inspiration. Where do you go to get inspiration? We all need inspiration. Life is difficult. Life is challenging. It's complex. And every now and again, we need the experience of being inspired. We don't need information. We get lots of information. You can get all the information you want. Inspiration is different. It's like a boost. It's a lift. It's a shot of energy that we need in order to do the things that we are called to do. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's an author that you follow. Uh, maybe it's a YouTube person on YouTube. And you just kind of, you show up. You kind of are a little tired. You're a little bit disoriented. You watch this video or you listen to this podcast. And then, boom, you feel like I could run through a wall. You've got no more information new to you now. But something about that experience gives you inspiration. Inspiration is something that we all need, and we need it as a church. We are trying to be faithful to the call of Jesus Christ in the year 2023, and this comes with all kinds of challenges associated with it. We need examples of people who are living faithfully unto the Lord and who are going out the work of making disciples as he has called us to do. And for me, one of the great sources of inspiration is found in the book of Acts by looking at groups of believers from such a long time ago because they inspire me. And we need to be inspired. Reading through the book of Acts gives us this opportunity to see what it looks like to be faithful in a difficult time. Because oftentimes I hear people say, you know what? We've never lived in times like this before, and that's not true at all. The church has lived in almost every kind of time that there has ever been, and this time in particular is no different. In fact, I would say to you today, the time that we're living in now is more like the times of the early church than in the times just 40 years ago. I mean, I think about my grandparents. My grandparents lived in a day that if you were a good, respectable person, you went to church. And if your neighbor didn't go to church, well... Something is up with them. That was their time. That time is gone. My parents and I live in, this, live in a generation where people looked at church and like, it's kind of like that old typewriter that you might have in your house as a decoration. It's kind of nice to look at, but you're never going to use it, right? The church largely for my generation and for my parents' generation, it's kind of irrelevant. It's there, they do good things, but I'm never going to participate in it. But when I think about my kids and their generation, early 20s. The church for that generation is not only irrelevant, but for some, it's what's wrong with the world. The church is seen as a dangerous place. This is kind of the day that we're living in. Now it's the time that the early church lived in. The people that were watching these first believers, they didn't know what to think. They were confused. They were a little bit, what is going on with this fringe religious group and their odd behaviors? So for me, I find the stories of the early church incredibly inspiring. And I know you're not supposed to, but I have my favorite church. I know you do too. You've read through the book of Acts and you found your favorite church. Some of you are Pergamum people. Some of you are Thyatira people. Some of you are Cappadocia people. But I can't have any time for that, okay? Today, there's only one church that we're going to talk about. And that is the church called Syria, Syrian Antioch. 
The church in Syrian Antioch, in my mind, is the most inspirational and I think relevant to the times that you and I are living in today. It's found in chapter Acts 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 16 as well. There's all these little snapshots of the church in um, Syria of Antioch, and we're going to talk about them today. First, let's put it on, uh, on a map. You can see Antioch here. There's two Antiochs in the ancient world. This was called Syria Antioch. By the way, there's a guy that lives on the west side who was originally from this city. He makes the best baklava in town. If you need a hookup, let me know. I'll give you his number. That's for free. Antioch was a city of about half a million people. It was the third largest city in the ancient world, uh, in, the, in the Roman world. Um, and it was a city that was incredibly important because of its location. You can see there that if you're traveling in that region, you have to go through Antioch. And what would happen is a group or a, a group of peoples would come into the area, they would conquer it, they would set up shop, they would establish their culture, and then they would last for about 200 years, and then another group would come through, conquer it, set up shop, establish their culture. And this went on for years and years and years, which meant that if you went to Syria and Antioch, you found all these enclaves of different ethnic groups packed away in different corners of the city. Now, this was also the second most important church in the ancient world. You can see just south down below the word Palestine, the city of Jerusalem. This is where the church began. It began in very largely Jewish-only culture. Um, the church began there. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was pastoring there. They were kind of like the official church. They made all of the decisions, but Antioch was nothing like them. It was different. It was multicultural. It was very diverse, um, and it was proof that Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 were coming true, that God's spirit would come and that the good news would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Antioch was living proof in the promise of Pentecost. So what I want to do just for the next few minutes is talk a little bit about three things that were kind of characteristic of the culture of this congregation. And I hope that as we do, it will inspire you, it will inspire me, it will inspire us to be influenced by this church today. Let's start by reading in Acts chapter 11. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It's on page uh, 1711 on the Red Bible in front of you. You can look it up electronically as well. Look it up at home today. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. We've talked about this theme before. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, isn't that a great phrase? The evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to get Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were first called Christians 
in Antioch. Now, what I love about Luke's description about the church in Antioch is that first, his first description is simply a large crowd of people. Like a whole bunch of people became Christians. Paul goes there, he preaches, Barnabas shows up there, he preaches, and a whole pile of people became Christians, which is great. This is how all journeys of faith start. You have to have this moment where you realize or you kind of wake up one day and realize, you know what, I'm a person of faith. And then you have to figure out what does it look like for me to live that out. But if you keep reading forward in the book of Acts, you're going to see that Luke no longer calls them a a large crowd of people or a large group of people. He refers to them as disciples, as disciples. Something happened from becoming just a large group of new believers, and now Paul, or Luke, calls them disciples. They started out having enough information to become a Christian, but then they have transformed into active followers of Jesus Christ. We said last week that spiritual formation is the lifelong practice of being transformed into the image of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's intentional. It's the work and the practice that you and I undertake in order that the Lord might transform us. Meaning that we don't all become the same and all have the same kind of life, not at all. When God enters our lives, he takes our passions and our abilities and our personalities and he lives his life through us. And it becomes this beautiful, wonderful kaleidoscope of people. So this first The first thing that strikes me with the church in Antioch is that they were active in spiritual formation. They took discipleship seriously. Well, what did they do? Well, I'll save you an hour of time in reading the rest of the book of Acts to find out all the things that they did. But let me just, we've got them listed here. Let me just kind of give you a snapshot of how Luke describes this community of believers. Barnabas encourages them to remain true to the Lord. And maybe for you today, that might be the thing that you need to hear most. You're struggling, you're not sure, you're thinking of giving up. Barnabas encourages these believers to remain true to the Lord. And then we see this ongoing theme of them learning and being taught. That as we are disciples, we have to unlearn our old ways of thinking and believing and behaving and relearn how it is that Christ wants us to be. And this requires putting ourselves in situations where we can get access to that information and be transformed. The church consisted of prophets and teachers. They made room for people who were going to sit down and say, I know you grew up thinking this, but this is the Lord's way. I know you grew up thinking this, but this is how God is calling us to live. This was the culture of the church. They worshiped, they fasted, they set people aside for ministry, laid hands on them, prayed them, sent them out as missionaries, and then allowed them to come back and hang out at the church as their home base. I mean, the Apostle Paul, when he wasn't being a missionary, he came back to the church in Antioch, and they looked after him, they took care of him, and they gave him a home. Why am I showing you this? Because the church in Antioch starts out as just a big group of people. And Luke says through intentional spiritual practice, they became disciples. And this is what needs to be our story as well. That if you've made a decision of faith, that's wonderful. But now it's time to figure out where is it that I'm going to position myself so I can continue to grow in my faith and become a disciple. That for each and every one of us, there's never a point where we say, I think I've learned all there is to learn. This is pretty good. I think I'm good to go now. I can just kind of coast for the rest of my life. Not at all. That in every season, there requires us to be humble so that we can continue to learn what it means to following the Lord. 
And you've heard me say this before. There's a direct correlation between intention and transformation. There's a direct connection between intention and transformation. And I, I've talked, you don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? Oh my goodness, I accidentally am able to run a marathon. I don't know how that happened. I've got legs that can just go forever and my lungs have got capacity. I think I'm going to go today and just run forever. No one wakes up like that. Intention leads to transformation. What inspires me about this church is these believers said, you know what? We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to grow in. And we're going to put ourselves in situations where that happens. And my encouragement to you today would be to make the same choices. Secondly, this church had a missionary heart. Let's read uh, Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3. Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now we're getting a description here, and Luke gives us some names, which of course mostly just go over our heads, and we don't think a whole lot about them. But what we should hear from those names is, the church looked like the city it was a part of. They were reaching the people. I talked earlier that, that Antioch was filled with all these ethnic enclaves. And what you see here in this description is a church that reflects its community. It's not just for a certain group of people in the city. It was reaching everyone. You've got Simeon, who was a Gentile from Africa. Lucius, also from Africa. Mannion, it literally says there he had the same wet nurse as Herod. The Tetrarch. This is the same Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. He grew up in the most influential homes in all of the region. The church was reaching their community. And what I love about it is when Barnabas shows up there and takes a look around and says, man, this thing does not look anything like the church in Jerusalem. This church does not look like any other church that I have been a part of. He sees its potential. He looks at this church and he sees its potential. He looks at the people there, not because they're perfect Christians, not because they're mature, not because they have everything figured out, but he looks at them and says, oh my goodness, if the Lord got a hold of this person's life, look out. He saw their potential. Friends, I think this is our challenge in this generation. Who will be the next generation of leaders from this congregation? Who will be the next generation of pastors that grow up and come out of this Congregation. Who will be the next missionaries that grow up and come out of this congregation? Answering this question is the job of each local church. To be praying and asking the Lord to show us who are the people from this body of Christ whom God is tapping on the shoulder and saying, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. And we ought to be praying for them that the Lord is like the drummer back here just beating loud, 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 loud so much that they cannot ignore his voice in their life. And they have no choice but to stand before God and do business with him and say, all right, I'm willing to explore what this looks like. This local church in Antioch didn't look like any other church, but they saw the potential in people and called them out and sent them off into ministry. And I love that. Thirdly, Antioch had a culture of encouragement. It had a ministry of encouragement to the people. And I know you might think, that sounds soft, but we'll, let me just unpack this for a second. 
Luke doesn't hide the fact that the church in Jerusalem isn't so sure about what's going on in Antioch. They need, to, they need an update. So they send Barnabas there to kind of tell them, all right, this sounds suspect to us. Come back with a report. This is not the first time we've heard Barnabas's name, and I've been waiting to talk a little bit more about him. We first see Barnabas in, in Acts chapter 4, when those new believers are gathering together, and Luke says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and some were so moved by God's Spirit that they took land that they owned. They sold it. They took the cash, and they gave it to the church to be used to meet the needs of the people in their community. Barnabas was one of the first people to do just that. A little bit later, we hear from Barnabas again, because Saul becomes a Christian. Remember, Saul had been the great persecutor of the church. He'd sent letters to get permission to go into Damascus and led him to arrest people who were following Jesus. But now he's become a Christian, and he shows up at the next church potluck in Jerusalem, and nobody will sit with him. Right? He shows up to church, and everybody says, I don't trust you. I don't think I believe your conversion. And they're suspect of him. Except for Barnabas. Barnabas goes and finds him and brings him into the church, vouches for him, and allows him to be accepted there. It's an incredible, incredible story. Now Barnabas gets asked to go to Antioch because there's something fishy going on there. He shows up and he's blown away at what God is doing in people's lives. And he uses this wonderful phrase, he saw the great, what the grace of God had done. Look, it's really important that you know this. When he showed up at that church, these were not perfect, mature Christians who were behaving perfectly. These are brand new Christians who were trying to figure it out. And Barnabas looks at them and says, look at the grace of God in their life. I'm guessing there's other things he could have pointed out and said, "Mm." but he points out the work of the grace of God in their life. In doing so, Barnabas becomes an advocate. He's been an advocate for Paul, and now he's an advocate for this church that people aren't so sure what's going on there. And an advocate means that he was willing to put his reputation on the line for the benefit of others. Willing to put his reputation on the line for the benefit of others. Barnabas shows up to this church, and it does not look like anything he's seen before. These are brand new believers. These are people from different ethnic backgrounds and different cultural backgrounds, and they're all bringing that with them to trying to follow Christ. And Barnabas shows up and goes, awesome. God's grace is up to something new here. And that's what he sees. He doesn't see all the problems. He doesn't see all the shortcomings. He sees the grace of God at work in their life. This inspires me. How many times have you looked at someone and all you could see were their shortcomings, their failings, the things that they weren't doing well? And maybe we take a step back, maybe we think a little bit differently about them. Barnabas shows up and he becomes an advocate for people because he sees the potential of God's work in their life. He risks his reputation on Paul, not once, but twice, And he risks it on this church. Because he knows, with a little discipleship, a little encouragement, and a little time, God can do something significant in their life. Think of Jesus when he goes and calls the disciples the very first time. Fishermen, tax collectors, he does not roll up on the beach and say, look at these perfect people. They have got it all figured out. They are going to be a great use of my time. (laughs) No. 
He shows up and says, wow, whew. But with a little discipleship, a little bit of encouragement, and a little bit of time, these followers of mine are going to become something. I think about this attitude as we think about working with our next generation of children and youth. This is the kind of eyesight that we need to have, not to look at them and say, where are you exactly in this moment of time right now? But to say, with some time and some encouragement and some discipleship, what might God do with these young lives? This is the story of every person that's ever stood on this platform and opened the Bible to preach. No one goes to someone and says, boy, this person is exactly what we need as they are right now, straight into ministry. No. I can guarantee you, there was a local church in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia that said, I don't know if they were bribed or how they got stuck with me. They said, he has no clue what he's doing. We'll give him some time. We'll give him some opportunities to do things, and they went really poorly for a really long time. And maybe in time, God's grace might even be able to use his life. This is the ministry the local church needs to have with each other. That we see people not just for where they are in this exact moment of time, but say, God, with a little bit of discipleship, <laughs> a ton of encouragement, and some time, what might God do with their life? Now, the great thing about encouragement is that it's free. It doesn't cost you anything to encourage anybody. Think about the return on investment, the ROI on, for encouragement. It costs you nothing, but to the person that receives it, it means everything. Paul would go on to write 13 of the letters in the New Testament, and if we were to keep reading through the book of Acts, we would see that Barnabas also had a ministry in the life of John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Not a bad ROI. This is the gift that we get to give to one another in a local church. Now, I'm going to go way out on a limb here and say there's probably some of you who are here today and you're just hanging on by a thread in your faith. It's been challenging, it's been difficult, maybe you've contributed to it in your own way. And if someone was to encourage you right now, it would be a game changer for you. I'm guessing there's people in your own life who are just barely hanging on by a thread. And what they don't need is someone else to remind them of all the things that they've done wrong. They're probably very well aware of them. But they need someone who's going to be willing to walk with them in time. Because you believe what God could do with their life. This story of this church... It deeply inspires me, and I hope it inspires you. Now, the neat thing about this church is they go on to get a reputation in their city. They live this out. They're practicing this each and every day, and the citizens of Antioch are kind of watching them going, huh, this is new. And so they give them a nickname. I think it's probably a derogatory nickname in t at first, but they give them this nickname. They saw them reaching out to lost people. They saw them reaching across ethnic lines in their community, all coming together as a new family. They watched them building their lives around scripture and prayer and fasting. They saw them make grace of God in their lives and people risking their reputation to reach out to somebody who nobody else thought was worth reaching out to. And when they saw this, they gave them a name. And the name was Christian. It's the very first time 
People who follow Christ are called Christians, literally meaning from the household of Christ, from the family belonging to Christ. Because the way they lived and treated each other was like the way Jesus lived and treated each other. And so while the name was meant maybe to be a derogatory, it's the most beautiful compliment any of us can ever receive. And may it be said of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this imperfect community of believers. Learning, growing, no doubt stumbling and arguing at times and having issues, but attentive to your grace at work in their life and in their midst. And God, we pray the same would be true of our church as well. That we would be serious about discipleship that we would not just assume if we show up to church every now and again, we will grow in our faith, but we would be intentional. And Lord, that we would be looking to call out gifts in one another and have eyes to see, God, who is it that you are at work in their life? And we can encourage them. We pray that we would have a spirit of advocacy in our church, that we would risk our reputation to reach out to people that we see potential in, that we would be bold and courageous, causing all kinds of murmurs in order to be a Barnabas force in the lives of other people. And we pause at this moment to give you thanks for the people who have been that force in our lives. We can picture them, we can name them, we can hear their voice in our ears. And Lord, you use them in such substantial ways to help us be where we are today. We pray that we can only reflect that ministry now to other people. And as we do, may we be worthy of the name of a people who are from the household of Christ, we pray.